Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I hope that everybody is doing well this week, and I hope that you have found this series on marriage and the marriage relationship to be very helpful to you in your marriage. And you know what? If you're not married, I hope that you've gleaned some good principles from this that can be applied to other relationships in your life. And I hope that uh, you would keep these truths in mind if, in fact, the Lord would someday provide for you to have a spouse of your own. All right, today we are finishing up on the section on money management or money in marriage. And I have to say there is a lot, there is a ton that I could cover. But in the scope of this class, I'm, I'm really limited to just talking about big picture items when it comes to money management. Again, I would recommend that you go to Crown Financial Ministries or if you prefer Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, and really look at some of the tools and books that those men have developed, those ministries have developed over time, because they will really get into the nuts and bolts of how to plan a budget and how to manage money. What I want to talk about, though, today are some overarching priorities that you ought to have or you ought to cultivate in your marriage. If you don't have them, you need to cultivate them. If you have cultivated them in the past, maybe it's time to freshen them up and make sure that you and your spouse are on the same page. So here we go. The first question that I want to ask you is, do you have a plan for how you spend your money? Do you have a plan for spending the money that you earn in your marriage? And I hope that you answered yes. I hope that everybody answered yes, whether you actually have a budget and you follow it strictly or you follow it somewhat or you have no budget. Because everyone has a plan for spending money. Even if you don't have a plan, that is a plan. I personally believe there is no excuse to not have a plan to think through and spend your money and your resources. The tools and the access that we have today to financial management are unprecedented in world history. And so even if you have no plan, that is a plan. And I would say that is a bad plan, especially, especially if you're a believer. Believers ought to all have an idea of how they are going to use their money and possessions because it is a command from God. We have been entrusted by God with resources and we have a responsibility to use those resources in a way that brings glory and honor to God. So what's your plan? Let me go ahead and walk you through a few biblical principles and priorities that ought to shape your plan. The first thing that all Christians need to consider is that your first priority ought to be providing for your own household. You must provide for your own household. And you do this through work, right? Work is the way that you earn income. Everybody works or everybody should work. I don't, I don't mean to say everybody works because that's not true. Everybody should work. That was God's original intention, God's original plan. Look at what he says 
in Genesis chapter 1, 28. You are to fill the earth and to subdue it, and you are to rule over it. To subdue something means that you have to put forth effort. To rule over something means that you have to exercise management. One of Adam's original responsibilities was to care for the Garden of Eden. And then when Adam sinned, the curse that God gave to Adam made work harder. And so we all have to work to provide for our family, and work today is harder than God originally intended due to the curse of sin. But this is really the first biblical priority for households, and especially for husbands. You must provide for your household through work. Now, I don't want to get into whether uh, a woman can work or what two incomes and what if the woman earns more than the husband. I don't really want to get into that because there's that answers to those types of questions or those types of scenarios are somewhat complicated because they're they're highly individualistic. The answers, I should say, are highly individualistic. So when it comes to understanding just basic principles, the basic principle is you must work to provide for your family. And what is provision? This is a very key word. We need to accurately define provision so that we can see how God would have us use the resources that he has entrusted to us, the resources that we have actually earned through working. Now, in 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy, first of all, a command to command the church, that is, believers, to provide for their own. So, there can be no question, there's no hesitation, there's no doubt that if you are a believer, you have a responsibility to provide. But what is, what is that provision exactly? Look at verse, uh, verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Food and covering. Other places in the New Testament that's defined as food, shelter, and covering, such as like food and then a place to live and then covering meaning clothes. So the basic essentials of what you are to provide for your family is food and a place to live and clothing. These are the essentials. Now, this doesn't mean that the essentials include um, a three-car garage and a two-story house in a very ritzy neighborhood. Yes, that is a shelter, but that may not be a shelter that you can afford. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. I think Paul is imagining a basic or an average dwelling place in the area in which you live. Now, some people are obviously going to live in a, a more expensive dwelling place, and some people might live in a less expensive dwelling place. But notice the key word there. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So if you already have food on the table, if you already have a dwelling place, a shelter, and if you have clothes, you should be content with these things. Again, let me reemphasize. Paul is talking about what's average, what's reasonable. All right, It's clear by the power of observation that some people in the local church are blessed with more and some people have less. 
there's a lot of different reasons for that, which we're not going to go into in this particular podcast. But if you have food, shelter, and covering, you need to be content. And one of the great strengths of America is how American capitalism, and I am totally for capitalism, just a side note, okay? But American capitalism has created an entire scale of needs that are beyond the biblical definition of what we really need to survive. And because we have this incredible list of needs, we often are not content even though we have food, covering, shelter, and many, many other things. We need to get to the point as believers where we are content with what we have and we are able to say no to work because there are other things that are important in life. So let me sum this up. If you are to provide for your household, then you need to provide in such a way that the members of your house have a place to live, that they have clothes to wear, and that they have food to eat. Those are the basic necessities. And there may be a few other things that are cultural specific, like a phone, okay, maybe internet, that are, that are necessities of life. You need to have those things. And that's what you need to provide for. Where we struggle is meeting all of our wants on a limited income. Either we go into debt to get all of the things that we want, or we work and we make our entire life revolve around work. And that's not right either. Because if you prioritize work above all the other relationships in your life, like your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, you're going to have some serious disappointments in life because you haven't balanced the priorities well. When we talk about money management, when we talk about biblical stewardship, we understand or we must understand that work is a part of stewardship and earning money is a stewardship as much as spending money is a stewardship. You're stewarding your time when you go to work. Are you being productive? Are you getting the most value for your time that you can? In other words, are you exchanging your labor for as great of a rate as you're able to do so? We have to be careful, though, that we don't get so wrapped up in trying to provide for every little need of our family things that are far beyond what the biblical says, the Bible says, are necessities. That we spend so much time at work that, uh, you know, we really neglect more important and more weighty matters of life. So that's our first biblical priority, to provide for your family through work. The second biblical priority when it comes to biblical stewardship is to pay your taxes, all right? Pay your taxes. In a very well-known episode from the life of Jesus, which I'm going to read to you here from Mark chapter 12, Jesus commands people to pay their taxes. All right, listen to the text. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. This is Mark chapter 12, now verse 14. They came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. 
for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And so they brought one. And he said to him, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to him, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at this. The second priority that you have as a believer and as a married couple is to pay your taxes. Now, to pay your taxes, what does this mean? This means that you are going to honestly declare and give to the federal government of whatever country you live in the appropriate amount of tax that you owe. Now, I'm not a tax expert, but I understand that there are different um, deductions that you can make. There are different schedules that you can fill out that would reduce the amount of money that you owe to the federal government. I would encourage you to look into those and to do everything legal to reduce the amount of money that you have to pay to Caesar. Do that. But if you end up paying money to Caesar, then consider it just because God says it is just. One of the reasons that God has given government is so that they can rule and one of the areas in which government can rule is in the establishment of a monetary system and then the taxing of people to provide for and pay for the government. This is just how it's always been. Whether it's a monarchy, whether it's a republic like the United States, or whether it's a, a communist government, um, the government governments always will tax people to get the income to do what they, they want to do. A government has no money of, in and of itself, and so they must collect money and resources from the people whom they govern. So that's pretty straightforward. I'm just going to leave that alone. All right. Pay taxes. Be honest. It's a good stewardship of your money, and it is honoring to God to do so. All right. We now come to the third priority. The third priority of stewardship is to give generously to God's work. Notice I said generously. You could take it to the point where it's sacrificially, and certainly in the New Testament there is an example of that. And sacrificial giving um, is a, a good and profitable thing. But I think the basic minimum of what the Lord requires is for you to give generously to his work according to what God has given to you. Now, what is generous? I think it depends on your individual situation. It depends on your pattern of giving. It depends on the, the resources that God has given to you. Giving generously, I don't think, can be defined by a percentage. And I understand and I recognize that a lot of people want to just put 10% as the amount that you quote-unquote, give to God. But 10%, if you're making, let's say, $250,000 a year, 10%, okay, that's $25,000. You, you may be able to give more than 10%. You may be able to give, you know, thirty-five dollars or 40000 or even $50,000 to the Lord's work because 
you don't need to live on all that other money. You don't need to spend all those other resources for your own interests. So just giving a rote percentage for somebody who um, is a believer, I think does a disservice. I think it's better to challenge somebody to give generously. Conversely, let's say somebody's only making $25,000 a year and they're struggling to make ends meet. Is it realistic to assume that they're going to be able to give $2,500 a year to the Lord's work? That's 10%. That might not be realistic for them if it's a husband and wife living together. um, Maybe they even have a child. That might not be realistic to make ends meet and give 10% of your income to the Lord. You may only be able to give 5% or 2.5%. That may be generous depending on the situation that you are in in life. So when it comes to giving generously to God's work, you have to stop and ask yourself this question. What has God blessed me with? What am I spending my resources on? And could I devote more of my resources to the Lord's work? Am I truly being generous with God according to how he has blessed me? And when you put a percentage on it, you make people feel guilty for not meeting that percentage rather than allowing it to be a heart decision that they come to, a conviction that they arrive at through prayer and understanding the scriptures. And there are some things uh, to consider from the scriptures. One of them is found in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. The whole point of Jesus' words here is to challenge the listener to consider, are they using their resources to buy earthly goods, or are they using their resources to store up treasures in heaven? And the way we store up treasures in heaven is not like, well, I give a dollar to God, so he saves a dollar for me in heaven. No, it's, it's investing in the kingdom of heaven. If I invest in the kingdom of heaven, there might be uh, a a return on that investment when when I actually get to heaven. We don't know what it is, but we do know that it's going to be there. And that's an important principle to keep in mind. Asking yourself the question, is my attitude towards giving generous to the work of the Lord? Now let's define, I think, from a New Testament perspective, and I'm only going to limit this to the New Testament perspective, what is God's work? I will not deny that there are many, many great charitable organizations that exist in the world today. But as Christians, we cannot expect non-Christians to support God's work. And so we need to consider, is my charitable giving to, I'm just going to pick a a non-Christian organization like the Red Cross, Is my giving to the Red Cross really beneficial for eternity or not? Now, you may say it is. I'm not telling you not to give to the Red Cross or to other similar organizations. But all I am saying is that Christians have been given resources by God, and they have also been commanded by God to give to the Lord's work. And so we need to consider, are the resources that I'm giving advancing the kingdom of God? Now, what is the kingdom of God or what is God's work? Well, one of the things that 
we know is God's work is church planting, right? The Great Commission says that you are to make disciples of all the nations by going, baptizing, and teaching them, the converts, to observe all that Jesus commanded. So part of giving to God's work would be giving towards missions, whether it's home missions or foreign missions, or your local church, and they support the missionaries, so that church planting can occur throughout the world. A second aspect of giving to God's work would be supporting your local church so that they can pay their pastor teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes to Timothy and instructs him to instruct the church that those pastor teachers who spend time studying, preaching, and teaching the Word of God are worthy of double honor. So they should be able to get their living from the work that they do in studying and preaching and proclaiming the truth. So that's a second aspect of God's work, supporting the local church's elders and pastors. A third aspect of God's work is caring for the poor and the needy within the church. And this comes from Romans chapter 15. And then finally, the last fear is caring for those in the community as we have opportunity. So you may be a very wealthy Christian and you may be able to do all four of those things. You may not be as wealthy and you may be only able to do one or two of those things. You need to consider the resources that God has given you and the work that God has called us to do as Christians and say, I need to give generously to the work that I am able to support. It may not be all of those things, but you need to give generously to God's work. And finally, our attitude, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, is to be joyful and our actions are to be generous. So let us not think in a miserly fashion of what we could give to God. Let us not count every last penny and be stingy with what we give to the Lord, but rather let us be thankful and give to the Lord joyfully because of the great gift of salvation that he's given to us. And also let us have the action and attitude of being generous being generous. So now we come to the final priority. And this final priority is to live responsibly based on the funds that you have remaining. All right, live responsibly based on the funds that you have remaining. If you start with your total income and you subtract out what you have to pay to the government in taxes, and you subtract out what you have to give to the Lord's work, then the remaining funds are the funds that you have to do life. All right, and when you get to this point, there are a couple things that you can consider with your spouse. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail on these things, but these are just some questions to consider as you and your spouse try to come to a consensus on your priorities of stewardship. So here's the first question. How comfortable are we with debt? Do we understand the balanced perspective regarding debt that is presented in the Bible? Another question. Based on our previous habits and personal experience, how do we categorize the living expenses for each month? And this really is 
a question that gets at what budget do we set, okay? Everybody has a budget. Many people don't know what it is, and many people don't really pay any attention to it. But everybody has a budget because a budget just describes how you spend money. If you're following a budget, you're trying to live within the parameters of your budget. And and then in that case, you will divide up your expenses and say, well, here's a cap on what we can spend on, for example, gasoline, or here's a cap on what we can spend on groceries. Here's a cap on what we will expend on clothing or hair care or, you know, go down the list and name it. There's a lot of different budgets that you can find online, sample budgets. But when you're married, you have to come to an agreement on what you're going to spend on those things. And the amount of money that you spend every month on those different categories has to add up to the total amount of income that you have. If it's greater than your total income, then you have a problem. That means you're going into debt to live and you don't want to do that. Okay. Another point to consider as you consider about stewardship is do we do we go for quality when we make purchases or do we go for price there's this old adage that often is quoted if you buy cheap you buy twice because if you're buying a cheap product typically it's not of good quality and it breaks sooner or wears out sooner so you end up buying twice whereas if you would have just bought the quality item the first time if you Maybe you wouldn't have gotten it right away. You would have had to save up for it. But if if you would have bought the quality item the first time, uh, then you know you would have that for a long time. It may have cost a little bit more initially, but over the long haul, it's going to save you money. You have to figure out in your budget what balance of quality versus price you can tolerate. All right, well... These are there are a lot of things and I didn't elaborate on nearly as much as I could in this podcast, but there are a lot of things that you can talk about when it comes to stewardship and money management. And I hope that these two episodes really help to just kind of whet your appetite for what you need to do. And and I hope it also provided some conviction because many of us we just live week to week, month to month, and we don't really plan and we don't really consider how we're using the gifts that God has given to us. My prayer is that you would be challenged to do better, to become more biblical in your money management, and that it would be a blessing to you and your spouse and your family. Get ready for next week. We will be looking at the subject of intimacy. So maybe spend some time praying and considering that particular somewhat challenging topic and may you be blessed as you work through these biblical truths.